and gentlemen, welcome to Inside the Coach's Office. My name is Tom Murphy Jr. And as always, I'm here with Coach Brian Barnes. And today we have a very special guest. We have Chris Four of 8laces.org. Um, Chris is currently a, a principal, but has held many positions um, in, in uh, coaching and athletic administration. Um, he's also an author, um, has written uh, multiple books and magazine articles and, and all kinds of different stuff. So he has all kinds of information to share today. Um, today's theme basically is going to be uh, landing a coaching job. Um, so there's a lot of different aspects uh, in that. And uh, Chris is well versed in, in, in this field. So um, Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me, Brian and Tom. I uh, love talking with coaches. It's, uh, it's a real passion of mine and uh, love specifically talking that anytime I could be of any kind of help or assistance in, in helping guys land that dream job. That's why I started my, my business, Eight Laces Consulting, kind of had no idea it would ever grow to a, uh, a business where people would ask me for advice like this. But <laughs> here we sit 10 years later, and uh, I'm just real excited to have an opportunity to talk with the audience. All right. Well, Chris, um, we'll start off here. Um, what is it about uh, coaching football that, that got you uh, involved in the beginning of your career and, and what made you want to break out and, and really start um, um, writing about uh, these different processes? So yeah, two kind of two part question there. Number one, getting in, involved in coaching. I grew up in a small town in North San Diego County um, where my uncle, my dad, you know, they played for the local high school. I knew I was always going to play, play for that local high school. And then uh, two years after start, and, and they had a, 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 an outstanding experience playing for that school. I lived in a community of about 40,000 people, one high school. Um, you know, my dad would take me there on Friday nights when I was as far as I back as I can remember. And, uh, you know, telling me one day you're going to play here. You're going to play on this same grass your dad and all of your uncles played. And so it was a really unique town I grew up in, uh, kind of like a Midwestern throwback. You know, you don't have a lot of one high school towns here in Southern California. So football was was a lot, meant a lot to our town. And and there was a head coach there for a long time, 28 years or so, named Tom Pack. And uh, unfortunately, after my sophomore year of playing ball, I was in a horrific car accident, broke every bone in my left leg. Unfortunately, my friend was killed. He was driving that night in that accident. Uh, he was killed right there on the spot and I never played a down of football again. Um, my left leg, I was in a, I had seven surgeries and I was in a wheelchair most of my junior year. So, uh, fast forward into my senior year, I, I was still shot, wasn't able to play, but, uh, some of the coaches there, they knew I loved the game. I wasn't very good. Be very honest with you. I wasn't even, I didn't even start as a freshman, uh, but maybe a few games I, on the line of scrimmage. But uh, I was very smart with it. I, I knew my stuff very well. They, they always knew they could count on me to know stuff. And so one of the coaches asked me to get involved and come out and coach the freshman. So uh, the freshman head coach. So I started coaching as a senior in high school. And uh, that's, you know, that's how I got involved in this great game. And, and uh, then that career progressed up into, uh, you know, being a head coach for eight years. And, and then my last year of coaching, 2017 season, I coached here at our local junior college. I was a special teams coordinator. So um, just got into coaching through my, my mentor there in my little small town, Tom Pack. Like a lot of coaches listening to this, I don't think we really know the impact we have on young men. And uh, that's a man who really took me under his wing. I was uh, an athletic director, teacher assistant, they called us, a TA uh, for him one period a day for two years. And a lot of talks in that office and a lot of watching him. And I said, man, this is what I want to do forever. And uh, and so uh, here I am, you know, it kind of divulged. The path kind of changed as we we moved forward into coaching and teaching. And now, you know, got into uh, administration here as a principal. But that's kind of relatively short look at how I got involved in coaching. Um, really loved it. Absolutely loved my coaching days. Probably got out a few years too early, to be honest with you. Because uh, those first couple of years as an administrator, you know, on the sidelines Friday night, man, my principal had to come over a few times and say, hey, 
back up, back up, get behind that line. You're not a coach anymore, you know? So, but uh, as far as writing about sports, you know, that happened. I think a lot of us, if you coach long enough, you're going to be fired at some point. That happened to me in 2011. Um, we, we, I was at a private school, the superintendent who hired me at that school after four years, he retired, new guy came in. And like a lot of times out, I don't know, you know, out here in Southern California, the private schools are pretty, pretty vicious. Um, anytime there's a changeover like that, they're usually going to bring in their own guys. Um, our football team had a really bad year that, that year he was there his first year, he was probably evaluating me. Um, I'm also not a yes man. Uh, his first day on the job, I was the athletic director there too. His first day on the job, July 1st, 2010, he told me to fire a girls basketball coach who was an outstanding girls basketball coach because of uh, one parent who got in his ear before he even started at our school. And I told him, uh, you know, with all due respect, Mr. Boss, man, you've never met this man. Uh, you've talked to one parent. Let me work through this. And uh, anyway, that, that set us off on a wrong foot because uh, we kept that coach. I didn't fire him. There's no reason to fire him. At the end of the day, I, I lost my job at that school. And um, I just started writing. I started a website with the, with the help of a player uh, just to start to market myself. First time in my life, I think I was, I don't know, 35 or 36 years old. And the first time in my life was looking for a job. You know, before that, jobs came to me. Um, and so... I, I had to put together a resume and market myself in a pretty difficult uh, world in 2011. A lot of education cuts have been happening since the, the uh, market had a downturn in 08. And so it was a tough time, but, but that's when I got on. I started a website. I'm like, I'm going to build 10 pages, um, you know, a practice plan, a letter to my parents. Here's the first 30 days on the job. And I built these 10 pages. I got on Twitter at the same time. This kid told me about Twitter. This would be a great place for you to get online, network with guys. Um, and then as I started sharing information, I realized a lot of coaches liked it for whatever reason. I, I realized I've, I, I've always liked writing. I was not an English major or anything, but loved writing back in college and um, just combined that passion of writing with the passion of football. And, uh, you know, here we are. I'm working on my, my fourth book now. And uh, I, I just love being able to help coaches with uh, – specifically with their job search has kind of been my niche. And that's this next book I'm writing right now. It's, um, it's going to be like a blueprint, the a head coach blueprint, you know, to put yourself in position to get that job. I've surveyed probably 400 coaches all over America on their path to get that first head coaching job. We're going to look at a lot of those similarities, differences, and uh, use that to try to help coaches move forward. Coach, I think in it was around 2015. I, I purchased uh, one of your books, the, uh, the Insider's Guide to Scoring Your Next Coaching Job, and uh, that was awesome. Uh, I took a lot from that, and there was a lot of focus on there about, you know, developing your portfolio. And you mentioned a couple things with, you know, letters to parents and sample practice plans and things of that nature. Could you could you do me a favor? Tell tell us um, maybe a couple of your favorite do's and don'ts um, of setting up a portfolio. So if you're, you're a young coach and, um, you know, you're ready to go for that job that they want and, uh, you know, prepare for an interview, but before then they're going to go ahead and apply. Tell me if you could like just some of the do's and don'ts that you would, you would suggest, uh, those coaches. Yeah. I think, you know, building a portfolio is an important piece of the, the job search. Um, if the job is really open, okay, there's a chapter I have in that book called Sham Interviews, how to know you're on a sham interview, because there are a lot of those in education, unfortunately, in the coaching world where the job's not really open. It's already been filled before those interviews start. But if it happened is, to, what I, that, uh, you know, happened to me this winter. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm being yeah. honest. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but. Yeah, they're not fun going through that process, you know, especially if you put yourself out there, you tell your boss you're going out to look and that's that's one other subject. But a um, couple things on the portfolio, I think, are real, real important. A lot of guys. Let me back up people, people like to see people, action and results, people, action and results Okay, in marketing, in the marketing world. That's how they build a lot of a lot of brand is brand marketing is pictures of people, right? Faces. And it's, it's hardly often do you see 
you know, you think of like Joe Camel, right? The, those cigarettes or the Marlboro man, you know, they're built on an image when I say that. And so, and that's usually people. Now, Joe Camel is this, you know, toy cartoon camel, but it was still a personification of somebody. So they want to see people. What that means in our portfolios is you working with kids, like pictures of you chewing out a kid is even a good thing because it's showing your passion and energy, but pictures of you with your arm around the kid on a Friday night after you fumbled a ball, uh, pictures just of you talking to your team, maybe at halftime on the field. Maybe it's a picture of you laughing with a kid. Um, so people want to see people. They want to see action. How do you put action in a, in a uh, portfolio? That doesn't necessarily mean people in action, like not action photo shots. They want to see your career in action. For instance, one of the graphics I put together shows uh, before and after my leadership. So the first place I was an athletic director, uh, the four I was an athletic director at that school for four years. The four years before I got there, I think they won two league championships. Uh, my first year, we won zero. My second year, we won one. My third year, we won three. My fourth year, we won five. And we set the school record. Still hasn't been broken since they fired me a dozen years ago. That's a side note. But what I do is I show, hey, here's four years before four. And it has, you know, a bar, which is two. And then what's uh, five, three, eight, nine. And then four years under my leadership, it's got a bar showing nine. So that's, that's results. When I say, uh, I mean, sorry, that's action. That could also be a result they're seeing. But people action results is what they want to see. So show people in your resume those three things. I'm sorry, in your portfolio, show them those three things. When we talk about action, uh, one of the things is, hey, here's the first 30 days. Here's what I'm going to do the first 30 days on your campus. It shows that you have a plan. And I rarely, rarely, rarely ever see that in a portfolio. But here's the action steps I'm going to take. Here's my first parent meeting. Okay. And if anybody listening, shoot me an email. I will send you my portfolio, my email address. Write it down. Chris at eight laces, E-I-G-H-T-L-A-C-E-S dot org. Chris at eight laces dot org. I'll send you a PDF of mine. And I'm not saying mine's great. I'm saying use it as an example. And that's one of the things you're going to see in there is that um, action result, action piece is my first parent meeting, my first player meeting, my first, uh, my first summer. So that's the type of way that we can build that we really know what we're doing. I think, uh, and then, as I said, results, I shared an issue with results earlier. I, I have another graphic in there about um, average GPAs as an athletic director, the work we did to raise those GPAs. Um, I have a graphic about an uh, athletic training program I started. We built that thing from zero to 70 kids in two years. So again, if you're able to show significant results, even minor results, um, that show that you are a difference maker. And again, that kind of gets into a little bit of my resume secrets as well. But um, people action results, get those things in your portfolio. The mistake, I think you asked about the mistakes or I don't know how you worded that, but the, the, the don'ts, the, yeah, the don'ts, the there we go, the don'ts. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of portfolios are just way, way, way too heavy on X's and O's and um on scheme and you know the playbook like they think the playbook is their portfolio and and unfortunately a lot of panels like i just i know our my junior college right it's quarter mile away from me here where i coached a couple of years ago they just went through a, a head coach interview process and um i know all three guys who were in that room the final three head coach interviews i know a couple other guys who were um part of the process on the first round and, you know, the first round of interviews, um, there wasn't one person in that room that talked about football questions, sadly. And so that happens at a lot of high schools, especially the ones who don't really care or know how to hire a football coach where they don't ask any football specific questions. So think about taking your portfolio into a panel of six people. If they don't even ask you what kind of offense you're going to run when you get the job here. Now you're handing them a portfolio, 90 pages, and 60 of it or 70 of it is your playbook. You're speaking of, you know, a foreign language to them. So I think that's the number 
one mistake I, I see Coach Barnes on uh, on these portfolios that come across my desk is guys ask me to look at them way, way, way too football heavy X and O's. So one of the things I uh, <clears throat> tried to do and it it's worked for me, but at other times it didn't work for me is I, I'll put my original portfolio together and I'll include my basics, right? You know, my philosophy of coaching, uh, my philosophy that's specific to football. Uh, I do have a 30 day letter in there and a sample letter to parents, um, you know, kind of my references and whatnot. And then going forward, if, if I'm lucky enough to get an interview, I would try to follow that up with what I call the plan to win something then to bring to the interview, which is a lot of the stuff you talked about, which are the sample practice plans, um, game day itinerary, uh, sample, uh, you know, sample game plan, things of that nature. So that way I can show up with something. Um, and then that gives them a little more of that football feel. Do you think showing up with something is, is always a good idea? Do you think yeah. it depends on the school? Um, does it vary? Um, cause sometimes you might, I mean, you might not know. Yeah, no, great question. So a few, a few things to answer that a few ways to answer that one, number one, yes show up with something. And the reason you want to show up with something is if you don't, that next guy or next five guys or gals, those next five in line will probably have something. So if you're there with nothing and five people behind you or in front of you all have something, you're not going to look as well prepared. Now, I don't think it's, I don't think you need to give out your, you know, a lot, a lot of people ask how long should a portfolio be? I don't think there's any really good answer to that. I think in this day and age with, you know, you can send everything digitally as a PDF. You know, I think if you go over a hundred pages, it's probably too long, but I think you can have a great one at, you know, 40 pages, give them a, a good look at it. Um, but I don't think you need to bring that whole thing to the, to the interview. Now, I think, you know, some places in some States, you know, I hear Texas, that's kind of a, a thing they always do. A lot of coaches down there bring a whole portfolio in there. Um, I just, I don't think it's really needed. I know in Southern California, it's not needed to do that, but you should bring something. One of the things I like to suggest, bring your, bring your thick portfolio in a three ring binder that's there that you could share around if they want. But then also like you're talking about coach is 10 or 12 pages that you do pass out to everybody in the room. And then the reason you, you want to bring your thick portfolio to have there as a sample is, you know, you can say something like, Hey, I've got this, my football portfolio is here. I emailed that into HR before this interview. I'm not sure if they sent it out to each of you. So I brought in some of the highlights for you to look at, because if you only bring in those 10 to 12 pages, again, if all five other guys bring in their hundred pages, that could hurt you. You know, I mean, if it's you and two others that are right there, Somebody in that room go, man, he wasn't as well prepared as this guy who brought in, you know, this hundred page sample for all of us. But, and, and the reason I say don't give out that hundred pages to everybody, when I referred to getting fired in 2011, one of my first interviews I went on, I thought I had to have that, you know, hundred page portfolio. So I, I had one for every person in the room. And one thing I noticed there, and I do the same thing now as a principal, when I'm interviewing guys, I do the same thing. Um, all of a sudden I looked at the panel and all five of them were buried in my portfolio. I, I didn't see any eyes. And a lot of times, if you don't see eyes, you don't have the ears. And so I looked up once and like I said, all five are like turning through this thing and I don't even know if they're listening. And so um, that's why I say 10 or 12 pages. Um, and then maybe even make a copy and say, Hey, I'll leave this with your principal at the end of the interview. If you guys want to look at this a little further. But uh, that's that's my recommendation on how to go into those things. Um, always ask that the person who schedules the interview, you know, how many will be on the panel so that you show up with an appropriate number. Uh, that's a really, a really good way to do it. I, another little interviewing trick here. Um, I always ask also, can you tell me who's going to be on that panel? Um, you'll, you'd be surprised. Sometimes that human resource secretary on the other side, she'll she'll give you too much information um, that they really don't want out there. But, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten before I've gotten like the names of all five people on that panel. So you walk in a leg up on everybody else who didn't ask that question. The last one, coach, I, I want to mention and then, Tom, I'll, I'll get it back to you is. So in regards to the interview really quick, have you ever been in a situation where the coaches has asked to kind of lead the interview or show you a PowerPoint presentation, kind of taking taking you the panel through 
like their philosophies or almost take, take you through their portfolio. How, in your experiences, how do committees feel about that? Do they, do they enjoy seeing the initiative and, and coaches taking the time to kind of do that thing or, or are they put off by it and they'd rather just ask their questions? Really good question. I think, um, I don't think it ever hurts to ask if you can do that, if there's an opportunity for you to share um, you know, your philosophy and portfolio through a PowerPoint presentation. Um, I don't think it's bad to ask that at all. Uh, I have been on interviews when I was a head coach where I, I think once or twice, once for sure, maybe twice where, where I was asked to do that. Uh, one of them was at a private school out here called Sage Hill um, in Newport beach. And for any of your Southern California listeners, that was like, like 2000. 11 when uh jr tolver got that job he beat me out for it at the end of the day um uh that was uh we were there about six or seven hours it's the most impressive um interview day i've ever had um uh and i part of that was giving a presentation to the booster club uh it's supposed to be a 20-minute presentation what we did on that one they set up like six different rooms that we went into to do the interview throughout the day one of them was players, one of them was parents, one of them was teachers, one of them was the admin, one of them was the superintendent one-on-one. -on -one. It was, it was wild. It was, it was very interesting. But um, uh, so I think it's a, a good idea. Ask them, you know? Yeah. I, I think for the right panel that really cares about football and hiring the right guy, that will be an impressive thing to them. Chris, um, something that you mentioned earlier is kind of interesting to me. Um, the sham interviews hey why why would an administration go through a process like that if they already know who they want as their coach why would they continue to um interview people and then and and how can you spot something like that out and not not waste your time for a job that you you're, you can't get regardless yeah really good sometimes it's sometimes it's a state requirement that you have to fly a position and you have to interview for that position. Oftentimes, though, it might not be a state law or a state rule. Out here in California, for instance, we're, we're, we have to follow what's called the Ed Code. Ed Code drives everything you do. I don't know of anywhere in the Ed Code it says you have to do it. Oftentimes, it's a district policy. Uh, other times, it's a union policy, you know, that, that you have to fly and interview every single position. So I went into an interview, I don't know, right after I got my, I'm kind of weird because I was private sector for 10 years and I've been in the public sector the last 10 years. So when I, I got my teaching credential years ago, one of my first public school teaching interviews I went on, actually it was a head coach interview set up at the same district one day for the head coach interview, the next day for the special ed teaching interview. And, um, I called them because it was about an hour and a half away. And I said, Hey, is there any way I can do both of these on the same day? And they said, no, the panel is the, it's two different panels. And then I said, okay, you know, I, I understand that. I, I can appreciate that. So I made the drive the first day and that was for the head football coach interview. And again, the next day was supposed to be a special ed interview, but about eight or nine minutes in, it was just myself, the athletic director and the principal. And it was only going to be one interview. That's what they told me ahead of time. I think that's crucial. Always ask how many interviews there will be. Um, that, that will kind of guide your answers a little bit. Uh, but also in your mind, you just want to know, is this a one-stop shop? Is there going to be two interviews, three interviews? So they told me this is only one interview. And eight or nine minutes in, I could tell the principal could have cared less. She was sitting there on her phone the entire time. And at about question or about 13 or 14 minutes in, I'm kind of a guy, I kind of say it how it is. And 13 or 14 minutes in, I said, you know what? I'm not sure if this, my answer really matters because I don't even think she's listening to me. And, um, and then I just sat there, just dead quiet. My silence, she finally looked up from her phone, but not because of what I just said, because of my silence. And then I said, did you hear what I just said? I said that right to this principal. Because by then, honestly, I'm like, I don't even care about this job anymore. Um, and, and she goes, I'm sorry, I was distracted here. Uh, repeat that. And, and I just, I looked at the AD and kind of smiled. And I said, what was the question? And then, um, you know, we, I just went, the whole thing was like 23 minutes. To me, that was a sham interview. They could have cared less. I went on one for a principal job 
uh, sham interview where um, there were any, I always tell guys when, when they have, when you go to the district, they have you sign in, look at that real carefully to see how many people ahead of you who signed in and what some of those names were, you know? Um, and so I saw only one person sign in ahead of me. Uh, and then I signed in that day. My interview was delayed about 40 minutes from when it was supposed to happen. So that guy before me, he comes out of the interview, glad handing with the assistant soup of HR, like they were old buddies. And he goes, here, let's walk you over here to do the paperwork. And I'm thinking paperwork. I wonder what kind of paperwork this guy's doing. He just got done with the interview. I thought, well, maybe that's something they have every, every uh, person interviewing for here today. Uh, you know, maybe they're just having all of us do a little paperwork or answer some questions on paper as a part of the process. Um, and then I knew because he signed in at 1145, his interview started at 12. Mine was supposed to start at 1230. I didn't get in there until about 115. As soon as I sat down, they said, uh, Mr. Ford, we got to stay strict to a 30 minute uh, timeline here. And I thought to myself right then, I thought, all right, this guy just got the job. Like this, what this dude was in there for about an hour and 10 minutes, you know? And uh, then when my interview was over, they didn't walk me in to do paperwork. So that was a sham interview. And when you asked, how do you know that it might be? Here's one way I should have, I should have known that was a sham interview. Uh, they called me just two days before. Okay. And they gave me one interview time option, 1230 smack dab in the middle of the day. I think they wanted me to say, I'm sorry, I just can't make that in two days, you know? Um, cause I had to take a whole day off of work to go up there, interview 1230 in the middle of the day. So that's one of them. That's one of the ways to know if you're going into a setup, if the interview, if it's going to be a sham interview, like they don't give you many options during the day, they call you very late in the process. Um, like I said, I think that guy was set up for that job from the word, the word, uh, apply. And so a couple of other things you see when it's a sham interview is, I tell guys all around all the time to make calls, call around on that job. Um, the media, media are the best people to give you insight to, to jobs and if they're really open or not. Um, so call as many people about that job, other head coaches, even if you don't know them. Hey, I'm going over to interview at, you know, Washington high school. Can you tell me a little bit about that position? Do you think that position is really open or is it spoken for? And I mean, word is out on the street, usually on most jobs and, and you can save yourself some time and headache. You know, you, you might talk to a media guy and media people love to talk. They love to talk off the record, you know? And so they might go, Oh no, dude, that job's going to this uh, offensive coordinator. Who's been there the last eight years. He's been the guy in waiting. It's not open uh, by any means. He's definitely getting it. I just talked to the principal. They're just going through a process. Now you can save yourself some time and energy. So that's the number one way to really find out if that job is open by doing a lot of networking. And um, if there's ever jobs here in Southern California, I've got a very wide network here specifically um, where I help guys all the time, try to maneuver and find that out. So in Michigan, we, you know, we have a pretty big, strong teacher teachers union here. And so sometimes, you know, we get the idea if, you know, I, I'm, I'm currently a teacher, but I know I have a lot of uh, coaching friends of mine that are, you know, sometimes called lay coaches, right? They're not mm -hmm. teachers and they're not in the building. So they fight that a little bit. Is that something you experience yeah. in California? You know what? Not really. Right now, um, probably about five years ago, our, our governing body called CIF, California Interscholastic Federation, they did a survey five or six years ago, 70% of our coaches in California now, this is all coaches, head coaches and assistants. About 70% of our coaches in California are what are, we call here walk-on coaches. You know, different coaches, you call them lay coach there. A lot of states use that verbiage. But um, so right now in California, it's, it's all over the map. I mean, it just depends on the district and honestly how much they really value football, if they're going to get you in the building or not. Like, for instance, the school I was at, we had an opening 18, 19, no, 1920 school year. We had a head football coach opening there. And, um, you know, the district, my principal spoke, I was the assistant principal there. My principal spoke with the district. That's a district who, who did value football in a lot of ways. And my principal was able to work our master schedule around with just the, we just knew the, you know, a few of the teachers leaving and we were able to hire a coach to basically in, four or five different subject areas. 
uh, we were able to bring in, you know, uh, I really believe you should be a, a teacher um, or at least on campus. Maybe it's a security guard, maybe it's maintenance, but I firmly believe as an administrator and eight years of being a head coach, 17 years in the business as a coach, I really believe you got to be on campus. Now, you know, some of the off-campus guys are not going to like to hear that at all. And don't get me wrong. There's some tremendous off-campus, excuse me, off-campus head coaches. Um, there's one here in California named Ron Gladnick, very good friend of mine. Uh, he's in a unique situation with his business, you know, that he runs and he's able to run a, a great, pro- he ran a great program down here in San Diego and just moved to a new one. But um, it's, those are few and far between, you know, uh, Long Beach Poly here in, in Southern California had a coach Raul Lara for a long time. I think he was a probation officer. Um, you know, he was a walk-on coach and, and ran a, one of the best programs in the nation when he was there. So you can do it, but those are few and far between in my opinion. Um, so, uh, no here in long, long answer, I'm sorry, but here in Southern California, it just depends. I mean, there's, there's some school districts where it's like, Nope, we have no coaching openings at all. It's going to be a walk-on. Um, and then there are some are like, we're only going to hire either a history teacher or math teacher. Cause those are our, you know, our two openings and we want it to be a walk-on. So, or we want it to be a, a teacher in a building. I mean, at the end of the day, it's supposed to be what's best for the kids. Yeah. Right. I mean, when, yeah. in theory. So, I mean, yeah. so that's like, I don't, I'm not saying one way is right and the other side is wrong, you yeah. know, necessarily, but it should just be about the kids, but it's, that's interesting. Uh, Chris, I want to switch gears a, a, a bit. Um, for, for a coach that um, is an assistant coach that is thinking about making the leap to head coach, I, I, everybody in every situation is going to be a bit different. But if you can generalize, um, how, how does an assistant coach know that he or she is ready to make that leap to head coaching and what kind of advice would you give to someone who's in that uh, position right now? Great question. I think, um, I think in some ways there's a lot of people I work with now and, and just communicate with that they think they're ready because they have a really bad example, you know, they're in a program with a really bad or just a poor head coach. And so they see that bad example. The program's not moving forward. The program's not growing. The program's not, uh, not competitive on the field. And so they think, oh, I, I can do just as good of a job as this guy. You know, um, out here, we see that a lot in Southern California. We've got so many schools here. You know, we've got 605 football playing schools just in Southern California. And so there's a lot of guys who are head coaches who probably shouldn't be one. They just fell into, you know, a school that needed to hire somebody and had an opening. And a lot of times they're the, you know, the walk-on position type of guy who's coached for maybe two or three years. And he just puts his hat in and, and gets a job because he talks a good game during an interview. It's you guys would be, you guys in some states like where you're at, you would be surprised at some of the guys getting head coaching jobs out here right now, to be quite honest. But I think one of the ways you know that you're ready is, is after you've been a coordinator who had success. Um, I don't think you can be a good head coach without being a coordinator first, you know, at least coordinate one side of the ball. And there are guys out there who have done it. I just don't think it's a very traditional path. And I don't think you can manage a coordinator without having been a coordinator. So I think that's one step, you know, have you coordinated a side of the ball or special teams and had success doing it? You, you feel the competitive teams. I don't mean, you know, 10 and 0 or state championship, nothing like that. Just were you competitive with the side of the ball that you coached? Um, and did you, did you know how to manage your staff? Well, I think that's the number one thing that gets young head coaches in trouble is they don't know how to manage your staff. I, I, I get that all the time here where, you know, oh, I, I'm a head, been a head coach and having a really hard time with this guy or that guy. And, and it comes down to the, yeah, you're, you're not a leader. You know, you shouldn't have been hired as a head coach. So, but I think that's one of the, one of the key things is have you, have you coached the side of the ball 
and been successful with, with leading a competitive unit. I think that's number one way to know you. And I ask guys that all the time, you know, I talked to coach out here maybe three or four weeks ago, he's been a linebacker, a position coach for three years. And, 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 you know, he thinks it's time to be a head coach. And that's, that's a perfect example of he's working for a really poor head coach. So he probably could do better than that coach he's working for, but not better than most head coaches out there. I think number two is, have you, and this is a piece of advice I give to guys all the time. How do I, how do I put myself in a position to be a head coach? The second, the second thing to look for is, how, do you know what it takes to run a program? Washing the jerseys on the weekend, putting all the stats in the max preps, trading all the film, being responsible for that, the fundraising, the grade checks, the talks with discipline with parents. I mean, there is so much that goes into being a head coach. And there's a lot of guys who think that they are just great coaching one side of the ball. And so they think that's why they can go be a head coach. And shoot, we see it all the time in college and NFL, that hot college coordinator who gets that job at the, as a head coach because his offense is so hot or his defense is so hot. And then he completely flames out as a head coach. The reason that happened is he wasn't ready. He's not a good leader of people. He was a great schemer, a great coach. But once you become a head coach, it's way less about how good of a football coach you are. Now it's, can you manage people? And uh, that's, I give, you know, I helped about a dozen schools this year, principals, administrators, find their head coaches this year. And a lot of them don't know how to hire a coach. They're looking just for that success on the field as well. And I tell them all the time, I, you got to make sure this is a person who can manage a program to keep trouble out of your office, Mr. And Mrs. Principal. So, you know, um, when I was a, a young buck, it's like, I just, I love the sport being around it so much. I was working for a head coach where I got my first job to be a head coach. Um, you know, I, I just, I loved serving my head coach there and doing whatever I could. I was, I was 24, 25 years old. I was single, no kids. And I mean, I lived at our facility, you know, basically I'd be like, coach, what needs to happen? You know, you got three kids at home. I see you coming down here to do the laundry. Let me do that. I'll come do the laundry on Sundays. You know, coach, your our, our stats are a mess with these girls doing them. And, you know, one of the other coaches was trying to do the stats and he hated doing the stats. He got assigned to it. So I said, coach, let me, there's this awesome stat program. I just saw at a conference, a clinic. Um, it would back then it was on a Palm, Palm pilot, you know, what do you think about incorporating this? He's like, I don't know nothing about that, but you run with it, you know? So it's like, I put together this stack. We use that same stack crew, but then I hired a dad, um, not hired. We got a, a volunteer parent to come in and run our stack crew on the sideline on this, you know, using a new piece of technology in 2001. So it's a lot of those little things I did to fill in the gaps that our program needed. And boy, I learned a lot about being a head coach through doing some of those things. And then I think a good point for listeners to learn is that head coach I loved working for, um, man, I, I could have been a, his assistant for the rest of my life and been happy. But then he took off to start a brand new program. He was recruited to start a brand new program. And so he left. And so two years after being there, I was 27 years old. Um, I had developed such a great reputation with my staff, my kids, my parents, a bunch of my administrators that, um, I ended up getting that job, you know, and I became the head football coach. Now, you know, one of the guys that are very important in the process, didn't want me to have that job, the principal. Um, but the athletic director was really pushing for me. All the, the 10 other coaches on staff wrote a letter and signed it for me parents and players all put together petitions to hire me. And after a couple of months, um, the principal finally said, yeah, let's give them a shot, you know? So, but I think that's a, a good example for people to learn. I mean, I just, again, I was, I was young, ma not married, no kids. My hobby, my life was football. <laughs> I, I just, I didn't shy away from anything he asked me to do. And then I was in the right place at the right time. And, you know, took over that program. It's funny. I, uh, you know, you talk about all the things that go into 
being a head coach, my wife and I are leaving next week uh, out of town on our 20 year anniversary. But before we go at the very top of my list is I'm finalizing, you know, my presentation for our parent meeting <laughs> the following yeah. week. I mean, it's, it's a never, it's never ending. The things you don't think about, you know, when you apply for a job, you know, or when you're a young coach and you're just thinking about the X's and O's and calling the right play to score a touchdown. But, um, Congratulations, you know, Coach. 20 years, man. That's that's very impressive. We're, I we're, yeah, yeah. My I, wife and I are 18 right now, and it's it's harder and harder these days, man. That's you, you guys have have a good time on that, and uh, congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate appreciate that. I mean, I, I definitely got lucky, and she was desperate, so it's kind of one of those deals. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the next question I had for you, you know, going back to um, you know the interview process, or just making yourself more marketable like for for young coaches you know you, you mentioned being a coordinator and there I I agree with you definitely very important now I've had discussions with some guys you know because this past season we um uh we won the first uh in, in the Detroit area our Catholic League uh first Catholic League championship in school history really feel good about where we're at as a program and I got some position coaches on my staff who've you know, applied for some other jobs and then potentially coordinator jobs. And my, my thing is like, I wonder, cause I honestly don't know, is it better to be a coordinator at, in a, at a school that um, maybe you won't have a ton of success, but you can say you were a coordinator or would you rather, or does it look better for them and their, and their resume to be a position coach on a, you know, championship or even not a championship program, how about just a stable program? Um, what is your opinion on that? Or do you think committees put a lot of stock into that? Man, that's a really good question. I, I if, if you go, if you, if you Google uh, coach4.org, that's my website. I've written about 400 articles. So coach4.org and then just put in Google coach4.org um, JV JV head coach or coordinator and an article will pop up because I wrote an article on this thing. And I think here's, here's my take on that. And I, I say this in the article, I think it, that's such a region specific, even state specific answer. Like, like here in Southern California, we've got two of the top programs in the nation, modern day and St. John Bosco, two private schools, right? Like if you're a, if you're a position coach at the varsity level for one of those schools, um, that's going to be more important, I think, to most uh, hiring committees than being a coordinator at like those two are division one schools here. We go one to 13, you know, you're going to get more prestige than being a coordinator at a division seven, eight, nine, 10 school. You know what I mean? So I think that that's very region specific. But at the end of the day, at some point, I really do think you need to be a coordinator. I would not leave a top notch, you know, like in Texas, they go to up to division six, you know, is there their top of the top dogs there. I wouldn't leave like a six a to go to a two a just to be a coordinator to get that experience. You know, if you're in that six a, I would say stay at that level, coach that position and, you know, maybe something will go up. But but what you would want to do is maybe drop to like a four a to be a coordinator. Does that help to answer a little bit? Big time. Yeah. Like you said, region yeah. specific and maybe, uh, maybe school specific too, or athletic director specific to yes. an extent, right. Yes. You know, depending on what they're looking for. And then, yep. Yep. And then also the, um, you know, the, the, the logic or the theory of know more about them than, than yeah. they know about yeah. you. Right. Yeah. So like you, yeah. you mentioned earlier asking about, um, by chance, you know, who's on, who's on the committee. So you're going to find out, uh, uh, you know, as a player going to be on there, as a parent going to be on there, you know, the athletic director or principal, maybe another teacher, um, you know, and then what other research about uh, the school, the athletic director is in his first year, or maybe he's, um, you know, he or she's been around for a while. Was the previous coach uh, a hard-nosed coach or was he laid back in a player's coach? So like it's, you can find a lot of, of information by doing that. You know, just figuring out you can get ahead of the game or ahead of the interview questions just by doing a little research. I'll, I'll share two points from my own experience on that briefly. Um, in 2006, I went to interview at the school, Capistrano Valley Christian, the, the one where I got fired in 2011. In 06, I go to interview over there and I asked for who was going to be on the committee. And I got it kind of not through the official people, but through some back channel people I knew. I knew who was going to, I found out who's going to be on the committee. And there was a lady there with the last name Schaffner, Barbara Schaffner was going to be on that committee. I found out 
Um, she was going to be part of that interview process. She was also the CFO, you know, controlled all the money. Well, I printed out the football roster. And as I'm looking at that roster, I see whose last name, Schaffner. So no, now when I go in that interview, I know that one of the ladies in that room, she has a son, not only because she control all the money on campus, that's an important person to know. But now I also know she has a son in the program. And so you can bet I addressed her in the interview, Mrs. Schaffner, I know you have a sophomore playing in this program and that, 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 that. So there's, mm -hmm. and I mean, she lit up like a Christmas tree. The fact that I knew that her little boy played football, that impressed her. She told me later after I was hired, you know, she's like, how did you find that out? I'm like, Max Preps, duh, right? <laughs> all, all football coaches know, but mm -hmm. she was so blown away. Um, an interview I had for an athletic director job in 2012, I referenced, um, and I, I think I write this in the book, um, uh, I, I did a long study on every one of their athletic programs, you know, again, through Max Preps. And their, their softball program had a 30% win percentage over the last five years, and they had four different head coaches. And so in the interview, and I don't remember what question came up, but one of the questions came up about keeping head coaches. And it led me right to that. And I said, you know what? This is a really big problem in some of your sports here. For instance, your softball program has had four coaches over the last five years. During that five years uh, change in, in coaches, you've only won 30% of the games. The first thing I will do is stop that turnover of head coaches. And I, I don't pretend to know why that's happened. but And so I'm giving an answer. And all of a sudden, one of the board members in the interview stops and goes, hold on, Chris looks over the principal and says, did you know we've had that much turnover? And the principal goes, no, the principal wasn't very athletic minded. And he goes, no. And he goes, did you know we've only won 30% of our games in softball? Is it, is he right? Is this man right? And the principal's like, I, I don't know. And so that board member later told me after I got that job, he said, Chris, I was done right then. I, I sat back and I said, this is our guy. I mean, and, and what's funny is I knew, I, I thought he was pissed at me for bringing that up because he did, he sat back, he put his uh, clipboard down and he didn't write another thing later on. He told me that's because he decided right then and there, this is the guy we're going to hire. You know, I'm going to hire, I, I want to hire. So um, those are, yeah, two, two real world examples where man do as much digging around as you can. I once found on a, an interview for a district level position, I found out through some networking a book that the, that superintendent had uh, taken his staff through the previous year. So I, I referred to that book in my interview. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a little small little thing you can find out through doing some networking on jobs. Uh, I think they, they pay big dividends. Yeah. All right, Chris. Um, so you've been on both sides of this situation with uh, coaching and administration. How, um, how can, a young coach or, you know, a, a, a first year head coach, what are some pitfalls that, that go with the coaching, the, the head coach position um, when it comes to working with the administration? Because, um, you know, sometimes it can be a stressful situation and, and, you know, sometimes two people just don't get along that the philosophies just don't coincide or, you know, uh whatever it is um but for a new young head coach it's obviously really important to have the administration on their side so what is some advice that you can give about attaining that uh approval yeah i know great question especially you know now that i've been in the principal seat the last two years um when i was a head coach i i mean honestly i i like Football is the biggest thing there is. Football is the most important thing there is. That principal better give me time any time I need it, you know. Um, and I remember trying to get some time with my principal here and there where I just I felt kind of blown off. Um, and, and I remember being, like, frustrated. I can't even get in a meeting for two days with this guy. Well, guess what? Now that I'm on the other side, I understand that. Like, it, the, the principal job, and, and, again, this varies from school to school, district to district, I mean, the principal position is very, very, you are very busy. And it's the thing I love about it. I mean, I'm running from six in the morning till, you know, usually four or five at night. Um, and again, I, I love it. My, I, I love working hard. Uh, but if a, if a head coach will come over to my office 
you know, when I'm in the middle of some very important things, his out of season sport issue he has about scheduling buses next, you know, February for me, that's the last thing I want to even burn energy on right now because I've got a senior event, you know, senior awards night. I've got graduation coming up, promotion. I've got all these kids. We've got to make sure they're cleared and they're going to graduate. We're hiring teachers for next year. Like I, I just named, you know, five things more important than your buses next February. Go talk to the AD, you know? And so, um, you know, that's a real world scenario from just this past week. So, and it's not like, I, I don't blow the guy off, but um, you know, when he comes over, Hey, you got a few minutes, Chris. And I, I got up from my desk. I walked over there, met him at the door. I'm like, you know what? Right now I don't, but what's up? Um, well, we're having this bus issue in February. And I said, you know what? Work with the AD because I'm a big chain of command guy. You know, so I just said, hey, work with AD. Dan will help you. He'll figure this thing out. Um, if he doesn't, let's set up a time to talk in about a week, but he'll be able to help you, you know. So that coach probably walked away feeling unsupported by the principal. Again, the fact is we have an AD for you to go to for a reason. And again, I got five things burning here right now that are much more important than that. So I would say what gets what gets coaches in trouble is when they come across the desk of the principal for an unneeded reason. Um, you know, when when there's parents like I always want to support my coaches and my teachers every now and then an email will come across of something a, a coach said to a, a kid or a coach said to a um to a parent that I can't support, you know? And so that's when you get on the radar, the principal, and you're like, you know, dude, don't talk to a kid like that. Don't use that language. Cause now you're on my radar for a pretty bad reason. So stay off the principal's radar, you know, work through the work through the athletic director as much as you can. And, um, that, that'll help you, you know, that'll help you win the day. Um, I'd say that's when, that's when coaches, I think, have failed when all of a sudden I see their relationship with the athletic director not going very well. So they want to come to me about things as a principal or even as the assistant principal. And then I start to recognize like, hey, why aren't you working with the AD on these things? Well, you're not getting together with, along with the AD because AD is holding you accountable doing your job. And I'll always talk to my AD like, hey, why does this coach keep coming to me about this? Well, because, you know, the AD mom's telling him no. So he's going to dad, the principal, you know, um, and I'm always on the same page with my AD. So I think, does that answer, does that answer that question a little, Tom? Yeah. 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 yeah that makes perfect sense. Coach, Coach we're, uh, yeah. yeah, we're, you know, we're getting close to the end, Coach. This has been awesome. I mean, we, we greatly appreciate you having on, um, giving a lot of insight to potential head coaches, uh, if you don't mind, could you share your Twitter handle uh, or any other means of social media where, you know, some of our coaches in the state of Michigan can, uh, you know, give you a follow and, uh, you know, potentially go to your website, eightlaces.org or coach4.org to get more information. Yeah, sure. On, on Twitter. Yeah. It's, it's uh, at Chris C four F O R E at Chris C four. I had this, this troll come after me maybe a year ago. Oh, you you need to take coach out of your handle. You're not even coach anymore. And I thought long and hard about that. I'm like, well, you know what? This guy's right. You know, I mean, I, there's, there's some, my, my counselor at my school, he's a football coach. I coached for a long time. So, you know, he calls me coach. And it's funny because some people hear him calling me that and they're like, what, why are you calling him coach? You know, some people at my school, they don't even know I was a coach in my past life or what have you. So he's like, man, once a coach, always a coach. So and that, I agree, you know, there's a brotherhood amongst coaches. So I, I don't ever mind being called a coach, but I did take that out of my, my Twitter handle for that reason. I, I really value and, and re hold coaches in a high regard. But anyway, at Chris C4 on there. And then you yeah, have two websites, eight laces, E-I-G-H-T-L-A-C-E-S. Like there's eight laces on a football. Eightlaces.org is where I have my, my products. Um, a lot on there in the job search world. I do custom resumes and cover letters for coaches. Um, anybody listening to this, send me an email or a, uh, a Twitter DM. If you want to do a, a custom resume, I'll give you a $30 off code for that. Uh, just for listening, being a listener of this podcast. Um, and then coach4.org, C-O-A-C-H-F-O-R-E.org. I've written about, I think, right around 400 articles or something on that site. Um, a lot of different topics. 
and so coaches can find some value there too. Not, not just a lot of it's football related, but there's also some leadership related stuff on there for coaches of, uh, of any sport. Appreciate that. And, uh, you know, finally, at the end of each podcast, at the end of each episode, we ask our guests to tell us about a unique tradition, um, whether in coaching or, you know, playing the game of football that was, you know, kind of unique to, to you and your situation. So maybe it was a, a cool drill that you guys ended every Wednesday practice with or, you know, an off-season event that you, you did a, you know, real cool bonding, team building type thing. Is there anything? Oh, man. Is there a yeah. specific yeah. specific yeah. tradition that you could think of that you, you'd be can willing I to share, share with us? Can I share two briefly? Please. All right. So the first one, man, it's this has been a fun one. We've started. Uh, I stole from that guy I told you about earlier. I coached back in 01 with Coach Crochelle for a couple of years. One of my best mentors ever. Um, I stole it right from him. I think he stole it from his college, Northwestern University in Iowa. Uh, but on birthdays during the season, if you have a birthday during the season, football season, coach or player, you have to put the ball on your nose. You have to look up at the sky and you have to spin as many times as it is your birthday. So if you're 17 years old, you go right in the middle of all the players, put the ball up, look up at the sky, spin uh, 17 times, and then you have to kick it. So at the end of, and so the whole team is around and they're counting one, two, three. Uh, and that just, that's, that's a tradition I've gone everywhere. Even as an assistant, you know, I shared that tradition and it's fun to still see that stuff happen in some of the schools. I, we got to have fun sometimes as coaches and players. And so, I mean, even after some really bad crappy practices where we chewed out the team, we still ended with that, you know, if it was a kid's birthday and it kind of brings everybody together and it's fun. Um, so that's one. And then, Second one, I stole from my high school. They did it for a long, long time. My dad and uncle did it, and then I did it as a senior. I wasn't playing, but um, we did something there where we carried off our seniors that last week of the real season every day, uh, Monday through Thursday. Uh, actually, after the game, Friday night, too, um, every senior got to pick an underclassman or two who had to carry them off the field all the way to the locker room. Um, and where I grew up, Fallbrook, it was about a 400 watt yard walk to the locker room. That was brutal. But the senior would choose one or two kids, walk him all the way to the locker room, carry his pads that last week of the season. And that's a tradition I started uh, when I was a head coach. And that's just, again, one of those fun ones that, that I uh, kids always loved it. And then Friday night after that last last game of the regular season, you never know when your last playoff game is going to be. So we always did it week 10 homer away um you know that there would there would always be some some tears and laughter that last time being carried off the practice field and the game field that way so those two are the top two that come to mind coach fantastic thanks <laughs> that's awesome um chris did you have any final thoughts you you wanted to, to share uh any last uh topics you might have wanted to touch on that that, that we didn't get a chance to yet before we uh, uh, sh shut her down yeah, not, not that I can think of. I think we covered a lot. Um, thank you guys for having me. I, uh, I love doing these podcasts because I love working with coaches. I, I did one for, I think I got about 55 podcasts in here. It's still on, uh, if you go to eightlaces.org forward slash podcast, that'll get you to it. I think it's on iTunes and all that stuff still, but um, we call it the coach's locker but 55 of them in, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy. And so I, I, I quit doing something had to give when I became an administrator. So I stopped doing them at that time. But um, all of that to say, I appreciate what you guys are doing. You know, I've, I've listened to some of the podcasts and, and uh, keep after it, your time invested. Think about a podcast. A lot of times you don't know, is anybody going to listen to this? Is anybody, but yeah, but you just never know. I mean, I, I'll get an email every now and then, like from a podcast that five years ago, you know, where a coach found some, uh, some favor, a piece of, a piece of advice. And so what you guys are doing service, you're providing coaches, um, is, is well worth it. And you might not know that for five years. So wow. uh, keep up the good work. That's awesome. Uh, so coach, um, or, uh, Chris, I, I did, I, with the theme of this show um, being um, this 
the theme of this particular episode being, you know, how to get uh, a coaching position. Are there some articles that you wrote that are available on your website that you could pinpoint? Um, yeah, you know what? Great, we get a look great, at? Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking that, too. If you go to coach4.org, I've got I put a lot of my um, if you just go there, I think the best way to answer that, because there's been, you know, I've probably written 30 or 40 on, on the job search process. So yeah. if you go to coachfor.org and then article library, that's where you can see I've got like, I've got them all kind of dialed in there by, um, by category. So that's probably the best way to do it. Again, coachfor.org and then article library. And then you'll, you can scroll through those. And I, I really haven't indexed all of them, but I've tried to index most of them. Yeah, yeah, because I I was a looking myself. There's a there, yeah, there's there's a lot. <laughs> you you you've yeah. definitely put out some content. So um I would definitely suggest uh um heading over to your website uh eight late laces.org because there there is a lot to um to uh digest there. So all right, well another fun one today, uh Co coach four, Chris Four. I, I appreciate your time and for coming on. And um, for Coach Barnes, my name is Tom Murphy Jr. And this has been another episode of Inside the Coach's Office.